0: And so we are calling this series Compelling Christianity" because we think that one thing that Christianity has decidedly not become here in our community in the first half of the 21st century is compelling. Okay? When people outside the church of Jesus Christ, when people who don't profess to follow Jesus Christ, when they look at those of us who gather on a Sunday morning to sing a few songs or to listen to some bald guy preach for half an hour... Uh, they may use several words to describe what they think of us. Weird might be one. Strange might be like interesting. Might be another. But definitely they would not use the word compelling. All right? <clears throat> and, and we think that that's, the church hasn't always been like that. The church hasn't always been like that. In the first century, in the book of Acts, in chapter 19, we have this, this uh, passage that talks about how the fact that after Paul had been in an area in Asia Minor for two years... It says that every Jew and Greek had heard the message of Jesus Christ, okay? Every Jew and Greek had heard of the message of Jesus Christ in two years' time. That's compelling, okay? And, uh, and so what we want to do in this, in this kind of, uh, series that we're going through is to look back and say, what have we lost and how can we regain that so that we, as a, a community of followers of Jesus Christ, have something that is compelling to offer our world at large again. And so we're looking at, that's what we hope to get out of this book of Titus. And not surprisingly, what we find that Paul talking to his young understudy, Titus, about from the very beginning is this whole idea of leadership, of who to appoint as leaders in the church. And it's critical and it's it's strategic that he talks about this first because everything rises and falls on the leadership of an organization, of a company, and certainly of a church as well. You've heard the phrase that says the speed of the leader, speed of the team, right? That's pretty true. That's pretty accurate. No church is ever going to rise above the level of passion, commitment, and sacrifice of that of its leaders. And so Paul begins by saying "It's to, to young Titus, it's critical that you choose the right people to lead these churches on the island of Crete, okay? Because the church follows Jesus best when it is led by compelling leaders who follow Jesus. Already, The church follows Jesus best when it is led by compelling leaders who are already following Jesus well. And so I want to invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to page 844 if you want to find uh, the book of Titus there. And while you're turning there, let me tell you about my week, all right? I have the floor so I can speak, okay? I'll tell you about my week. This week was a, was a good week for me. It was fun because I got a chance to connect with this uh, this this uh, tribe in West Bend that I've been trying to make contact with for quite some time, and I finally located them, and I've been invited into the tribe. It's a tribe of mountain bikers, Okay? And I've heard about this tribe. I've heard that they go mountain biking on Thursday nights uh, over here in Glacier Blue Hills. And I, met, I finally met the leader. And he's like, yeah, come on over. And, and, and to prepare for my meeting, to prepare for my meeting, uh, a, a month ago I bought a used mountain bike. And started going out tooling around, you know, Newfane and kind of learning some of the trails there. And, and, and you know, getting dipping my toe into the, the waters of, of mountain biking a little bit and learned a little bit. And then when I, when I felt like I was ready, then I, then I went on my first ride with this group okay and at first as we embarked from you know Craig's house we you know we're doing pretty good and i was last in this line of about 4 and 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 we were climbing up this incline at Glacier Blue Hills and i was doing a pretty good job of of keeping up you know i was doing all those things that i'd learned to do keeping my weight back in my saddle so my back tire grips and keeping my you know chest close to the handlebars so i'm not driving all over the road and stuff like that and then we crested this this first ascent this first hill and Um, And as we got over the top of the hill, this group just disappeared. They just, they just like flew down the hill. And I was like, wait, 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 what? Like, what? You know, you don't, you don't pedal downhill in the middle of the forest, you know, on a single track trail. That's dangerous. You could hit a stump or a rock or something like that. You don't pedal downhill, you break." Going downhill, because that was what I had been doing up until that point. And, and if I went up to those guys afterwards and said, look, what are you doing? You don't pedal downhill, you break going downhill. They would say, no, 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 no. If you want to be a serious mountain bike rider, you pedal going downhill. And we'll teach you the fine art of bombing down, going down, down a hill. And, and if I wanted to learn some skills that were slightly counterintuitive, and even, even a little bit crazy. I was going to have to hang with this group of guys who were the experts. Who were, who had had a little bit of experience in this area. Uh, otherwise, I would never learn how to do these new skills, like pedaling downhill rather than braking. And the same thing could be said about following this man, Jesus Christ. That there are aspects to following Jesus Christ that just seem Mildly counterintuitive and sometimes even crazy. You know, like things like you know, forgiving those who harm you, intentionally harm you. Like, I don't want to do that. You know, or denying yourself, denying your own, your, your, your own appetites, your own selfish desires. So, so, so who wants to do that? And, 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 and humbling yourself, making yourself like a child serving those, you know, uh, before you. These are all things that don't come as second nature to us. And in order for us to learn these things well, one of the best things that we can do is come alongside people who are already doing it well. And allow them to lead us. And to guide us as we observe them. And this is essentially what Paul is telling Titus to do, is to choose people to lead the church because the church follows Jesus best when it is led by compelling leaders who are already following Jesus. And so Paul said it this way He said, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. This is the role of leadership. This is why Paul instructs Titus to choose people for, uh, for leadership who are already practicing the way of Jesus and doing it well and doing it consistently because they will be compelling leaders. So let's read this passage together in uh, Titus chapter 1. We'll put it up on the screen there, or you can read it in your Bibles, I think, on page 844. We're going to read verses 5 through 9 and then kind of dissect these and talk about them a bit. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one life, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So Paul starts out this whole section by saying that the specific reason that he left uh, Titus on the island of Crete was Crete uh, was so that he could complete the job that was started and appoint elders... Or leaders in every town where there are these house churches, this house church network. And every church planter knows that this has to be done. Your job is not necessarily complete until you have essentially worked your way out of a job. And that there are national leadership, national elders in place who can carry on the work after you're gone. My family and I lived in the middle of Russia for several years and we started helped start a church there and we knew that our job was not complete until there were national russians leading that church and one of the last things we did was appoint leaders and ordain elders in that church so that the work would not grind to a halt after we had left and would not dissolve completely and Although in this passage Paul is talking specifically about elders, he could very easily be talking about leadership in the church in general. And for us here at Kettlebrook, this could apply equally to elders, to staff, to small group leaders, to uh, leaders of short term mission trips. And so in verse 6, he gives the basic qualifications of who is eligible to be a leader. And it's someone who's basically lived and led well in three spheres. In their community, in their marriage, and in their family. They've already lived and led well in their community, and in their marriage, and in their family. He starts off by saying that this person must be blameless. It means that they have a good reputation in their community. They're not open to any accusations of financial mismanagement or sexual misconduct or, or anything like that, or, or being drunk, that, uh, that they are essentially free from any kind of accusation. The Greek word here is, is really specific. He's, he doesn't use the word perfect or without blemish at all. He would have used a different Greek word than that. The word here means without blame. Okay, so that no one in the community can stand up and say, oh, I know this about so-and-so, or I've heard this about so-and-so. And he goes on in verse seven to give kind of five negatives of, of what it looks like to be blameless. He repeats that word blameless again, and then he says that what it, what it looks like. He says that that person is, these are things that would disqualify a person from leadership, that they're not overbearing. They 're not stubborn or arrogant, they should be humble they're not quick-tempered. they 're not quick tempered they don 't fly off the handle easily or quickly they 're not given to drunkenness okay that 's not something that they 're known for they 're not violent believe it or not there 's some cultures that they have to teach their their elders that you don 't beat your wives okay this is something that 's not the way of jesus okay because that 's prevalent in their culture they 're not 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 violent okay and uh, and so and they're not, not quick-tempered, not violent, and, um, and they're not pursuing dishonest games. Someone who fits this bill will be a compelling leader. And this is why, as a matter of course... When we, are, uh, when we are, are looking at a person for the elder board here at Kettlebutchers Kettle and we're considering them as a nominee, one of the things that we'll do just as a process is we will vet that person's name out to you guys, the community. And we'll put their name and their, their photo of their family and their kind of a short bio out to all of you and we're saying about a month before we're ordaining this person as an elder is we're, we're going to say, hey, this person has been nominated for an elder candidate and we want to know from you, the community, is there anything that we don't know about? Is this the person without blame? Is there something that you know in business dealings or in you know being on the sports teams with them or something like that that we might not know about because we don't have all the information? And what we want to know is this person in the community in general without blame because if they do if there is a serious character defect if they have one of these five negatives that Paul is talking about in verse 7 one of two things is going to happen or maybe both of them one is as if there is a serious character defect and we appoint that person to the highest levels of leadership it's only a matter of time before that character defect causes huge relational conflict and problems in the church it's just going to come out it's inevitable if there is a character flaw in the person you put that person in leadership there is going to be a wake and casualties relationally and that because we want to avoid that the other thing that's going to happen is that it's going there's going to be a bad reputation in the church that people are going to say hey i know so and so and that church allows them to be a leader to be an elder well, that, that, that reflects on the organization, organization itself, and it reflects, more importantly, on Jesus Christ. Okay? And so before we even begin to consider anybody for a high level of leadership, either a staff position or an elder position, we want to know that that person is blameless. And so next Paul moves on from there to, to the sphere of the person's marriage. He says, a husband of but one wife. Now, There are many different ways to interpret this. Uh, Some commentators believe that in Crete at the time, polygamy was a normal and natural practice, and he's basically instructing Titus that uh, anybody who's going to be an elder has to have only one wife. Other people interpret this to say that um, that person who's going to be uh, an elder cannot have been divorced and remarried. But what most commentators will actually say and land on is the fact that they believe that this means that a person, is, uh, being a one-woman man, is that they are faithful to their spouse. That they love their spouse, their wife, well. That they are faithful to them. They're not open to the charge of any kind of infidelity and philandering or having any affair of any kind. That they have a faithful, monogamous relationship with their spouse. And then he moves from the marriage relationship to the wider, uh, re- wider relationship of him with his whole family. He says, A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. There you have it. No one is qualified for being an elder. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now now the the logic here is, is really unmistakable. A man cannot appropriately and effectively if a man cannot appropriately and effectively lead his own family well, what business does he have of leading the family of Jesus Christ. Now, now, when you get to this level of prerequisites, there are all sorts of questions that naturally arise. Okay. Do all the kids have to believe? And to what extent? Okay? What happens if you get one bad egg out of the whole bunch? Does that disqualify a a, a person for leadership? Thankfully, Paul doesn't get down that level of detail here. okay? And he doesn't because what he's giving is he's giving a principle here. And a principle is basically this. Is that a person and a leader's first and foremost small group is their own family. And if their family has been loved well and has been led well and that that person is consistent who they are out in public with with who they are at home. There's no hypocrisy. They have put good and healthy boundaries for their kids as they've grown up and have the kids know that there's going to be consequences for misbehavior and and that there's just this general level of respect for that person's authority, then they are handling their family well. And their kids are growing up being encouraged and uh, and know that they are loved. And so Paul is talking about A general trend here in principle not isolated instances thankfully because because there have been times there have been times when I've walked into uh, an elder meeting on a Monday night or a Tuesday morning and I've said okay guys I think you need to fire me because let me tell you what went on in the Moran household this week (laughs) you know and thankfully and The elders, appropriately, come alongside of me and they encourage me and they pray for me and they remind me that, Mike, these verses in Titus are not talking about a specific week or month or anything like that. It's talking about a general trend in your household. And thankfully we know that the general trend in your household is your kids know That they are loved, that they are cared for, that there are consequences to misbehavior, and that there's good, healthy boundaries in the house. Then in verse 8, Paul begins to list uh, some of the things that a Christian leader should be known for. He kind of moves from the negatives to the positives. And the first thing that uh, an elder should be known for is someone who is hospitable, okay? Okay? Hospitable, this is not really a word that we use a whole lot in our language anymore, but it was used a lot back then. It literally means a love for strangers. They invite people into their home, maybe even people that they don't know well, and they serve them in well. This is basically biblical hospitality. We're actually going to be doing a whole series on this in the spring of what does it look like to be hospitable. But there's a a couple in Kettlebrook, and uh and they are extremely hospitable we have actually tried to get this guy to serve on the elder board several times like we repeatedly ask him ask him to serve as an elder and he repeatedly turns us down and one of the reasons that he turns us down is because over the past several years they have had no less than 26 foster kids come through their family come through their home okay (laughs) that that's a lot that's very he's busy okay but that's hospitality That's welcoming strangers, loving strangers into your family. Now, I may look at that person and say, that's nuts. (laughs) That's crazy. Just like I talk to my friends and I say, listen, you don't pedal going downhill. You break going downhill. I can look at these people and say, you don't invite 26 different kids into your house over several years. And they may look at me and they're like, well... If you want to be a serious follower of Jesus Christ, you may want to think of something like that. And they have the credibility to say something like that because they're compelling leaders. And they're compelling leaders because they are already following Jesus well themselves. And the church follows Jesus best when it is being led by these types of compelling leaders. Then he goes on to move from hospitality to someone who loves what is good. He loves what is good. He gets behind uh, benevolent and uh, good causes, kingdom causes in the world. He's basically a person who is on mission with God. Okay? He loves what is good. He's on mission with God. We have an elder uh, on our elder board who's just a compelling leader. And one of the reasons he's a compelling leader is he's a small group leader and his small group has basically adopted an entire group home here in West Bend. And they take the residents of this group home out to Brewer's Games, they take them to the state fair, and they just love on them well. And it's just, it's just an inspiring scene. And I look at this guy and I'm like, you are a compelling leader. He's a compelling leader because he loves what is good. And he's on mission with God and he's getting behind him and he's engaging with it. And his whole small group has come alongside as well. And we've rightfully uh, allowed him and invited him to be on the elder board because he's already a compelling leader. And then he goes on at the end of verse 8 to just kind of list this whole litany of of adjectives, someone who's self-controlled, who's upright, who's holy and disciplined. And we don't have time to go into all of these things. But Paul is basically saying that this list looks an awful lot like the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He's saying basically a leader, a good leader, is someone who's filled with the Spirit of God and they're so filled with the Spirit of God that they demonstrate the qualities and the fruits of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are all things that kind of characterize this person's life already. They're known for love. They're being known for joy. They're not a sourpuss at work. Okay? They have the joy of the Lord in their life. And someone who is filled with the Spirit and motivated by the Spirit and demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, they're a person who's going to be a compelling leader. And then lastly, after Paul has kind of gotten all the character stuff out of the way and all the important relational items out of how a leader interacts with others and treats others and is on mission with God and all that, then lastly he says that they should hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. So the very last verse, verse 9, says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. He's saying a good leader, a compelling leader, is someone who knows the Scriptures well enough. They know the message of the story of God well enough that they're able to teach and instruct others in that. And if someone gets it wrong or gets it, it has, it has something messed up, that they're able to gently correct and rebuke them. And this is why here at Kettlebrook, we always choose our elders out of our small group leaders. Okay, We actually won't even consider someone for an elder position unless they have first been a small group leader. Because as a small group leader, they're already leading others in this. They're loving others in their group. They're encouraging others in the way of Jesus Christ. And they're in a teaching situation where they're teaching and instructing people about the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul is basically just telling Titus here, he's saying find people who are already doing this and doing this well and basically just confirm what it is they're already doing. Okay? And and ordain them to be the elders in the church. And so that's what we do. We won't even consider someone to be on staff or to be an elder if they're not first leading a small group and leading their small group well and appropriately. And If they can do that, if they do that well, if they're leading in a compelling way, we know that they'll lead the church well. And the church needs compelling leaders because the church follows Jesus best when it is led by compelling leaders who are already following Jesus. And when we get this wrong, everybody suffers, everybody pays the price. A church is never going to rise above the passion. level of sacrifice and level of commitment of its leaders it's just not it's not going to rise above that i remember one time several years ago i was called in to uh kind of speak into a situation at another church um do kind of some consulting with them and this church was in a conflictual situation and um and i was asked to kind of look at it and As I scratched below the surface and got to know the situation a little bit better, I found out that the leaders of this church, the elders in this church, that none of them were in a small group or leading a small group, and that none of them were actually even serving in the church on Sunday mornings. Or very few of them were. And so I I, I said to the people who asked me to kind kind of speak into the situation, I said, you really here, you don't have a vision problem. That's not the issue. You don't have a mission problem. The problem is this, that you have a leadership problem. You have allowed people to serve on the highest level of leadership in the church, and they're not compelling leaders. They're not on mission with God. They're not living out the values of the vision that you have as a church. And they're they're not displaying some of the qualities that Paul is talking about here to Titus in Titus chapter 1. And as a result, there's all sorts of problems. And I see this all the time in churches. That churches in a rush to appoint or ordain elders, they make compromises and they take shortcuts. And let me tell you, in the long run, everybody ends up paying the price for that decision. Everybody does. Thankfully, here in our short 12 years of existence here at Kettlebrook Church, We have kept a very, very high standard of who gets to lead here at Kettlebrook. Who gets to be on staff, who gets to be on the elder board. And we look at the pool of candidates of who's already doing this well. We don't look at someone who's managed their company or has a finance degree or, you know, maybe they've even gone through Bible school. We don't care about any of that. We just want to look at the quality of your life and are you already living out well the things that Paul talks about here in Titus chapter 1 and as a result we have consistently enjoyed a great degree of favor from all of you guys the church there's just a huge huge degree of trust in the leadership of Calibre Church sometimes too much trust sometimes we have trouble getting a quorum at our annual membership meeting because people are like oh we trust you guys it'll all be good like, well we still need a quorum to, to, to vote you know, but we do we appreciate this huge level of trust, and I think one of the reasons that we're able to do that is because we keep such a high bar when it comes to who gets the lead. We believe that this the church is follows Jesus best when it is led by compelling leaders who are already following Jesus themselves you know and and we just i'll tell you a little secret we we love being on staff here. I mean, we, we, the, the elders have a great degree of trust in our, in our, in our staff, and our staff willingly submits to, to the elder board, and there's just this great symbiotic relationship that we have with one another. We just got back from one of our favorite, uh, weekends, uh, of the year. We have the staff retreat. Every two, every year we go on a staff retreat. We take two days and two nights away, and everybody and their spouses get to come along. And one of the things that we do at this retreat is uh, we just basically, this is the agenda for the retreat. Everybody gets a chance to go and have a turn, and every couple gets to say, what, answer this question. They answer the question, what has it been like to be you for the past year? And then every couple goes, and they talk about their highs and their lows, their joys, their fears. There, there's tears there's laughter and at the end whenever after after each person has shared we take time as a staff affirming them and seeing telling them what we see god doing in their life and then lastly we all gather around for them lay hands on them and we pray for them and over two days time we get through every couple on staff and we come away from this weekend refreshed and rejuvenated and ready to, to follow jesus well and that's important because the church follows Jesus best when it is led by leaders, compelling leaders who are already following Jesus well. And we want to make sure that they are all doing this. And so you look at this list in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It's not just a list for leaders. It's it's actually if you look at this list, it is actually a list that can be used for every single person who considers himself a follower of Jesus Christ because all of us should be aspiring to this all of us should be aspiring to be blameless in our in our community to be leading well in our marriage leading well in our family to be people who practice hospitality to be lovers of the good all of those things should be things that characterize so you can use this this opening chapter of Titus as just kind of kind of an evaluative tool Looking at yourself and say, how am I doing in these areas? Because we want to be a a whole community of people who follow Jesus well. And we believe that only then, only then, will we have something to offer to the world that's compelling. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that uh, as we attend to your word this next month for the month of November and as we look at the book of Titus that you would open up our hearts open up our eyes to see what you would have for us as a church we so desperately want to be a community of people who offer something compelling to the world around us, who offer an alternative narrative to the world around us, this this, this world that is despairing, this world that is looking for answers, this world that is without hope. We want to be a voice of hope to those around us. So we pray that by Your Spirit, You would so infuse us. And help us to be a compelling community to those outside. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.